0: Listen, folks, um, we are family. No, no two ways about it. It's, it's the joy of being a part of this church, but it's also the joy of just, of just being family with one another. And I want to just be honest with you. This is such a, 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 a special weekend for me, as well as next weekend. One of the things I concern myself the most about is when we come across Easter, uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas... Uh, how and what am I going to preach on? Um, because I, I want to make it relevant to the time of the year, but I, I don't like doing topical because I'm not really great at that. And, and, uh, and, and I'm, every time I'm, I'm concerned, it seems like God always seems to answer that question. And as I was studying last week, actually, as I was getting ready to, Kate mentioned to me, she said, boy, too bad you couldn't preach this Romans 12, 1 and 2 on Christmas. A day because it's really a great christmas theme and i said i knew that <laughs> <laughs> where do you see it <laughs> <laughs> we started talking about it and we were talking about this place in scripture and in the and in true to form as i went and studied through it there are two parts that we're going to look at these two weeks m- 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 moving into Christmas. We're going to look at the very idea of our souls be given to the Lord. And next week we're going to be taking a look at our bodies, our physical bodies as we present them, a living and holy sacrifice unto the Lord, which is acceptable. And the whole idea of of what Paul has been teaching us in this place in in, in Romans is the first 11 chapters have been about our character. Well, this chapter, starting with chapter 12, going to chapter 16, the end of Romans, it's going to not be talking about our character, but it's going to be talking about our conduct. Here's what Paul has assumed. Whether you've been studying the Bible for years and been with us for years or you've just begun, Paul is assuming that if you've studied through the first 11 chapters of Romans you by now are mature enough to make the move that God and Paul is going to ask of you and me. And that is, we have been presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ as clearly as Paul knows how to present it in the first 11 chapters. And what he has taught us is that salvation is by faith and faith alone. It has nothing to do with works. It has nothing to do with you or I adding to anything that God has done for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, you know, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but would have everlasting life. And so Paul has been teaching us these 11 chapters all that God has given to us. And the thought about Christmas my wife and I, thought about Christmas and that God gives. Well, now Paul says, let's read, turn with me to Romans chapter 12, would you please? And let's take a look at the first two verses in Romans chapter 12. And what Paul does now is he moves us from what we have received from God to where now we are to give back to him. "'Tis the season to be giving." It is the time of Christmas where we have the wonderful experience of sharing gifts with one another, but for those of us that have grown older, we start enjoying more the things that we can give, more than those things that we receive. And this is the joy of what Paul is teaching us now in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says in verse 1, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then he adds in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of, the God, of, of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Tis the season to be giving. Our Lord God says to us, I want you to present now your bodies a living and holy s- sacrifice unto the Lord, which is acceptable to God. And that is important. That is the key the acceptability of what we present to him it's very important to understand so let's pray let's get into this wonderful place in scripture and let's see what the lord god wants to teach you and me this morning concerning this time of the year christmas where we give give to others father would you please open up our eyes and our hearts so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Would you teach us, Father, so that we would understand the very deep truths of your word? And would you move me, Father, I beg of you, out of the way. Would you move me aside so that I do not interfere with what you would love to say to every single person here, whether they be a visitor and come to church regularly or, or maybe someone that's just here to because to enjoy the, um, the dedication of, of Ethan and his mother and his father. Whatever it is, Father, would you speak to us as we walk into this wonderful time of the year, the birth of Jesus Christ, your Son, your Son Father, who came to this earth not just to be a child born in a manger, but to grow up to be a man and ultimately to walk up the hill of Calvary to a cross that he bore, allowed himself to be nailed to that cross, and then shed his blood, give of his life, so that we might have everlasting life ourselves, and so that we might have, ultimately, the forgiveness of our sin, the ultimate gift. And so, Father, may we understand what it means to give in some small way. And so, Lord, please bless us. Bless everybody here, especially the Straub family, Father, we pray for John, Justina, and for Ethan. Bless them and all their family and friends. Thank you so much for this time now, Father. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I started off by thinking about this place in Scripture, the importance of what Paul is saying after the 11 chapters that we've just studied in the book of Romans. He asks us to, urges us. He, He says, I urge you, brethren, I urge you. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, I want you to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, which is, he says, acceptable to God. And so I thought that through, and I, I, I thought about how many people that walk the faith of Christianity and feel a little short at times. Have you ever thought and said, I, I, wish, I wish I could walk more closely with my Lord. I wish I would feel more of God within my life. Well, I believe if you're serious about that question, if you've ever asked yourself that or, or question why you've never had that sense of just a, a overwhelming closeness with to God, I, I, I want to tell you that I believe that Paul is teaching us here the key to spiritual victory the key to spiritual growth, the key to finding true happiness in your walk with Jesus Christ. And he is trying to teach you and me now that it is not wrapped up in all that God has given to you, but it is all found in our giving back to him. He is saying now I want you to present yourselves back to God, a living and holy sacrifice which is acceptable to him. It is, he says, your spiritual service of worship. It is a season to be giving. Paul says this over and over again in in the book of Colossians, the, the third chapter, the 23rd and 24th verses. Listen to what he says. He says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as unto the Lord rather than to men, because he says knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance or the reward of your inheritance he says it is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve who you and I serve is the Lord Jesus Christ that is our purpose for living And so Paul if you'll note here in Romans chapter 12 he does not focus in on what more we need to receive from God no From this point forward, Paul is going to teach us that we are to turn the tables on that. We are now to give back to God. You know why? It's clear. It's clear to study the Bible. You'll know why, just to think it through. Because by this time... If you've come to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have received more from God than you will ever need, and you will never need anything more than what He has already given you as a believer in Jesus Christ. Whether you're a day old or tens and 20 and 30 years of age in Christ. Listen to these few verses that I just picked out. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has, Paul says, blessed you and me, believers, with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing you and I have already been blessed with. In Colossians chapter 2 verse 3 and verse 10, verse 3 Paul says, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge have been given to us. Verse 10, he adds, In Christ, you and I have been made complete. So we have everything. We have every spiritual blessing. We have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We have been made complete. And then Peter concurs with Paul when Peter writes in 2 Peter 1:3 that God's divine power has granted to you as a believer everything. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. So there's not much more that you and I need. And we learned last week, the chief end of man, our ultimate purpose, the Westminster Catechism says this, the chief end of mankind is to twofold, glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, this is taught by our Lord. In fact, hold your place here in Romans chapter 12 and find the first book in the New Testament. What is that? Matthew, right? Matthew chapter 22. Turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew, of course, is to the left. It's, right the very, it's just a three or four books to the left. Matthew chapter 22. Jesus was speaking to the religious, self-righteous religious leaders of their day. There were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and one of the men that came up to him was a lawyer. And he asked Jesus a question, it says, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 35, wanting to test Jesus. Now, I don't take that as a bad thing that he's doing here, and here's why. Um, Normally, when people tried to test or, or put Jesus on the spot, he would always answer a question with a question. In other words, when they question him, he would question them right back. He doesn't do that here. This, this gentleman, in my opinion, this attorney, comes to him, and in verse 36, he asks him, Teacher, he says, which is the great commandment in the law? What's, what's the big deal? What is it all about when it comes down, and you're going to boil God down to the very nub? No, but what is it all about? And the Lord Jesus Christ said to him in verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. He says this, verse 38, Jesus says, This is the great and foremost commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the foremost commandment. But, he says, there is another. The second one is like it. And that is, you shall love your neighbor as you do yourself. On these two commandments, Jesus says, depend the whole law and the prophets. You want to know what true Christianity is all about? You love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and love your neighbor as you do yourself. In other words, true Christianity is not what we get, it is what we give. It is not what we receive, Our supreme calling in life as a believer in Jesus Christ is to serve and to worship the Lord our God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds, and we are to love others as we do our own self. You know the the motto of our church? When you boil down the motto of our church, we we kind of boil down these verses and we said the motto of our church is loving God and loving people. That's what we're all about. Loving God and loving people. In the first service had a, a couple that, that came and, and they're, they came from a little town in Tennessee. And um, it's really sweet to see them. It's their first time in our church. It's the first lesson they've ever heard us, any message they've heard here. And uh, it said it reminded them of their home church, but their home church was real small, um, maybe 50, 60, 70 people. And their son came up to me and the dad said, the pastor loved my son. So that just gave me carte blanche. I grabbed him and I said, Son, I hope that, that you and I will get to love one another. And it was really sweet to talk with them. And, and they said that, I said to them, I said, uh, it's going to be hard on you to, to find hospitality out here like you do down south. I played ball in the south. I knew what it was like to... No and to be treated kindly by Southern people. It's really sweet. And they agreed, but he was quick to say, boy, this seems to be a loving church. And I must tell you that my heart swelled inside of me with a sense of hopefully godly pride that, that you guys have made people feel at home when they come here. I felt good about that. I honestly did. That we are to love God, and we are to love others, people. If you'll note, back in Romans chapter 12, Paul does not set forth a bunch of rules that you and I are to follow. I believe God wants us to, number one, trust Him, believe Him, believe Him in His word. And then once we come to trust in Him and and trust in Him by faith and faith alone, then we should get busy serving Him with the spiritual gifts that He has given us at our spiritual birth. Now I am shocked, I'm utterly shocked that we've been going through all of this and I've gotten very few people that have come up to me and said, well last week one, one gentleman came up who's new to our church again and he said to me, um, I'm not sure I know what my spiritual gift is. I've accepted the Lord, but he says I don't think I know. How can I find out? I think that's a legitimate question. Very legitimate. And let me just share with you the only way I know how. I don't think you have to go to seminary. I don't think you have to study the Bible to find out what your spiritual gift is. I think you have to kind of get into your soul and see what it is that you'd like to do. If someone told you here this morning, you can do anything you want here in this church and and we would try to help supply you the needs and and the, the ability to get whatever it is you want done done, I believe that that there is your spiritual gift. At least that's an inclination that it is. And then once you start doing what you think your spiritual gift is, the people will let you know whether it is or isn't. They'll do that kind of quick. I remember sitting back years ago, years ago when I was going to church with my wife and the kids at Yorba Linda Friends Church. And we went to that church because our kids went to school there and they loved it because they saw their friends each Sunday and that was good enough for Kay and me. And when I sat in the back of the church, I used to think about, man, if I was doing the message, I would do this or I would do that. And I never had an idea that I wanted to be a, a, to do what I'm doing today. But I, I would think it through and I would say, well, I would, have, I would have gone there and I would have tried to do that. And I was thinking that and I was... Almost every time I went to church, I was, I was loving the messages. I was enjoying Pastor Don Lamb. He was a godly man. And I was thinking, this is what I do. And, and, and finally, I got to a place there that I went to the leadership of the church. And I said, I'd like to try to teach a Sunday school class if it's possible. And they said, it's wonderful you're asking. Because just this past week, the, the gentleman that taught the Crusaders, that was our rock of ages back at Yorba Linda Friends, the older group, had just quit. And they said, they, they're looking for a teacher. Would you teach them? And I said, man, I'd love that. So we started a, 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 a group. There was only about a, about 130 people in the church. There was only about, I'm guessing, 20 people in Crusaders class. It wasn't a big, big class. But we started doing it. We were, I started in the, I forget what book. I think I started in Genesis, but I don't remember where I started. But I did something they'd never done there before, and we started studying a book just line upon line, word after word. And we, we met every week just doing that. And before we knew it, that we, they had moved us out of the smaller room that we were in because more people started coming who we were younger. and we had a, Before we knew it, it was a big old class. And then eventually Pastor Lamb was going to leave, and that's when the church asked me if I would be their senior pastor. The only thing I did was did, I just started doing what I wanted to do in my heart. And I asked him if it was okay. And so I ask you if, you, if you're quizzing what it is that you ought to do as a spiritual gift, what, what is it that you ought to do for this church, I would, I, would, I would encourage you to look at what it is you would like to do if you could and see if you could uh, be fulfilled in that capacity. Our purpose in life is to honor the Lord our God. Our purpose in life is to serve Him. And Paul is saying here in the 12th chapter, verse 1, that he is urging us by the mercies of God to present ourselves a living and holy sacrifice which is acceptable to God. It is our spiritual service of worship. In other words, we are to serve back with the gifts that the Lord God has given us. We are to give back to Him. So... If you're still in Romans chapter 12, we're looking at verse 1. Look, Paul first and foremost begins by telling us that neither God himself nor Paul chooses to make you do any of this. That's a very interesting thought. Paul says plainly in verse 1, I urge you, brethren, I urge you. The word urge in the Greek is P-A-R-A-K-E-L-E-O. It means to call alongside of in order to help or to aid. But I want you to note something. It is not a command. It is a plea. It is a begging, if you would, an urging to honor the Lord. Paul does not, let me say it this way, God does not, through Paul, make you do this. Rather, Paul begs, urges us to serve the Lord our God. As a matter of fact, later Paul uses other words to encourage others to get involved. You know what words he uses? He uses, I exhort you, he says. I admonish you, he says. I encourage you, he says. I appeal to you, he says. In one of the times when Paul was speaking to a disciple of his, by the name of Philemon. In fact, can you find the book of Philemon? It's only one chapter. It's in it's to the right of where we are now in Romans. If you go all the way go to the last book, go to Revelation. Now, let's start turning to the left. You'll go past Jude, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, 1st, 2nd Peter, James, and then Hebrews, and right after Hebrews is Philemon. It's just one chapter, so you might would miss it. Hold your place hopefully in Romans 12. We'll come right back. Listen to what Paul says to a disciple of his by the name of Philemon. He says in verse 8, Therefore, talking to Philemon, Paul is, Though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, He has enough confidence in himself and who he is as an apostle to order Philemon to do what is proper. But rather, he says, verse 9, For love's sake, I rather appeal to you. You know what Paul is doing? He's allowing Philemon to make the decision on whether he would do what is proper or not. He's not making him do it. He's appealing to him to do it. If you'll note here, time after time, I try not to say to you, this is what you have to do. I say to you, this is what the Bible teaches, that two and two are four. Two and two are not three and a half or four and a half. Two and two are four. We try to teach the truth of the Word of God, and then we allow you to make a decision on whether you will follow it or not. I've I firmly believe that once a person comes to trust in Jesus Christ on their own accord, trusting in Him as their Lord and Savior, they will walk more closely with Him than if someone trying to twist their arm into believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. It is a decision that you and you alone can make. Nobody can make you. That's that's part of it. But the good news is nobody can stop you. If you desire to follow after Christ, if you desire to serve Him and trust Him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, you see, nobody can make you serve the Lord. Nobody can make you give financially to the Lord. You'll note here we don't have like these big types of uh, of, of trying to make you give more money. We're at I know of churches that do this right now. At end of the year, end of the year giving. Ooh. Bring it in. We don't do that here. Well, I just did. Well, but basically, but when we preach about giving, we preach about giving when we come upon it in the Word of God. Not, not, not just uh, as a, as a, a try, trying to get you to give more. No, we cannot make anybody do anything or give any more than they feel is right for them. And I believe that's proper. But what what the Bible is trying to teach us is that the blessings that come our way once we begin to faithfully serve, faithfully give unto the Lord, but nobody has a right to make any of you serve or give unto the Lord. That must come from your own heart to God's heart. That's the way that works. And so if we go back to Romans chapter 12... And we look again, Paul says, I urge you, but note, he says, brethren, he is talking to the family of God. He is talking to fellow believers in Jesus Christ. What Paul is going to teach us is only the redeemed, only a saved believer can present their bodies a living and holy spiritual sacrifice, which can be therefore acceptable to God God only accepts those of us who know and trust Him. I know that's hard for some to hear, but that's the truth of the Word of God. Only the redeemed, only a believer, possesses a spiritual life to offer. Therefore, only a believer can come before God with a spiritual offering that is acceptable in His sight. In 1 Peter 2 Peter tells us we are a chosen race of people. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are a people, he says, for God's own possession so that we might proclaim the excellencies of him. Here it is. We have been called out of darkness, Peter says, and into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. That's true salvation. Jesus says it this way. Listen. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, what does our Lord say? Jesus says, What will it profit you if you gained this whole world and forfeit your soul? He asks, What will you give in exchange for your soul? Your soul is the the innermost invisible part of you. It is the very essence of your being. And until a person's soul belongs to God, nothing else matters or has any spiritual significance. Jesus says you can gain it all. You can gain the whole world. But if you lose your soul, what will it profit you, he says. Love and generosity of the church in Macedonia. Actually, the church is. If you want to look at it, it's an interesting place in Scripture. It talks about what made their gift so acceptable to God. And the churches in Macedonia gave beyond what they were able. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting with verse 1, Paul praises the church at Macedonia, the churches in Macedonia. He said what they gave was acceptable to God. Why? Listen. It said... Verse 1, Paul writes, Now, brethren, I want to make known to you the grace of God which has been given to the churches of Macedonia. In that a great ordeal of affliction, in other words, that church was under great oppression. Their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. In other words, it's better to give than it is to receive. Paul says in verse 3, I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave on their own accord. In other words, no one made them give. They gave on their own accord, Paul wrote. He says in verse 4, they begged us. They begged us. The churches in Macedonia begged us with much urging. In other words, they chose to give give for the favor of participation, for the support of the saints. Here's what I wanted you to hear. Verse 5. And this, Paul says, they first, they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Before anything could be given worthwhile, anything, your service, your finances, no matter what, it must be acceptable to the Lord. First, we must be given of ourselves to Jesus Christ in saving faith before anything else can take place in our life what will a person be profited they gain this whole world and yet forfeit their soul what would you give in exchange for your soul that's what paul meant when he said in 1 corinthians chapter 13 verse 3 this is what paul said if i gave all my possessions to the poor and he says i deliver my body to be burned in other words I give everything. I give all that I have and I give my life. And he says, if I do not have love, it profits me how much? How much? Nothing. Nothing. If I give everything I have and I I sacrifice my body and yet I do not have love. Love is the very essence of who Jesus is. When Paul's speaking of love, he's talking about a knowledge of Christ. And I don't have love, he says, it profits me nothing. If a person does not possess the love of God, then all of his offerings, no matter how costly, they're worthless. So what I'm saying to us, what Paul really is saying to us, is that we need to give back unto the Lord something that is acceptable to Him. You cannot present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice if they've not been presented to Him first for spiritual life. How do I know this? Well... The Bible shouts of it, but the first example is the best. It was in the garden, way back in the Old Testament. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and they sinned, and the Lord cast them out of the garden, and then they, He made them clothed out of, the, out of animals, if you remember that story. And, and, and when He sacrificed an animal, He taught them, as we learned in Leviticus, that the blood is in, uh, or, the, or the, the essence of life is in the blood. And so he taught them all about the the, the sacrifice sacrifice of an animal for the forgiveness of sin and the shedding of blood. And so when Cain and Abel came upon the scene, Adam and Eve's first children, Cain and Abel, Cain was a tiller of the ground, we are told. In other words, he took care of the family's um, food supply. He took care of all of the fruit of the ground. And, and Abel, on his part, he took care of the animals. He would basically took care of the, the spiritual essence of the family. He, he, he raised the animals that they, they gave on the altar for the forgiveness of sin and shed the blood. And in, the, in chapter 4 of Genesis, it says that Cain and Abel came at a certain time, a certain place, very specific. They were to do a very specific thing, and that was to offer unto God for the forgiveness of sin. And Cain, it says, brought the fruit of the ground, brought the best that he had and offered it unto the Lord. And who could blame him? I mean, he's growing this stuff and it's, it's, it's very special and he gives it unto the Lord. And you know what the Bible says about it. The Lord looked at his offering and says, Cain, I have no regard for your offering. In other words, it's unacceptable, Cain. It isn't what I asked you to bring to me. Abel brought the blood of an animal. The fruit of the ground is not what I've asked of, so I have no regard for it. And and we are told that Cain's countenance fell. He became angry that the Lord did not accept his his offering. And the Lord says, why are you angry, Cain? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? In other words, do as I've asked you to do, Cain. The whole idea of, of trying to give unto the Lord something that is not acceptable is, is, is critical for, for the family of God, especially for those of you who are investigating about this whole thing called Christianity. You can't just haphazardly say, well, I'll serve the Lord and, and yet never have come to know Him and trust in Him as your Lord and Savior. You must do that. Cain, along with everyone else who's ever lived, had to come through the blood of an animal in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we receive life through the spiritual blood that was shed by Jesus Christ upon the cross. The Blood, pure blood of Him. Well, let me finish. Let me, let me close this message with a thought for Christmas. If you're back in Romans chapter 12 and you're looking still at verse 1, Paul says, I urge you. In other words, I beg of you. I can't make you do it. I could if I wanted to, but I won't. I urge you, brethren. I urge you, fellow believers, by the mercies of God. I want you to note the word mercies. It is plural. It is saying to you that God has an abundance of mercy. Mercy carries with it the idea of compassion and tenderness. In the book of Lamentations, the Old Testament, Chapter 3, verse 22. It says this, The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases. His compassions, in other words, His mercies never fail. Perhaps two of the most precious mercies of the Lord God in your life, in your life, and in my life is love, His love, and grace, His grace, His unmerited favor. Throughout the book of Romans, we've been learning over and over about God's love. Let me read you just one place. There's many. Romans chapter 8, verse 39 says this. Neither height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate you from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the love of God. God's grace, chapter 5 of Romans Verse 20 and 21, the law came in that the transgressions might increase. In other words, the law came to show you that you had the need of a Savior. But where sin increased, grace, God's unmerited favor, abounded all the more. In other words, the more sin appeared, there was more grace. Grace took care of all sin. And God's grace was there to cover the sin. It says, as sin reigned in death, even so grace reigns through the righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, we have God's love and God's grace flowing within our bodies, flowing within us. Now, this soul-saving abundance of mercy connected to God's love and God's grace should motivate you and me to a complete dedication to our Lord. It should be the very essence of our Christmas thoughts. Our giving unto the Lord. Giving Him what He so richly, rich, richly deserves. The most compelling motivation for a faithful, obedient Christian life. Which is our spiritual service of worship, Paul writes. Shouldn't be the threat of discipline nor the loss of any rewards. No. the most compelling motivation for you and me to be obedient and to serve the Lord should be our unceasing gratitude for the marvelous mercies that God has faithfully given to you and to me as a believer in Jesus Christ. That's the gift of Christmas that God has given to you. He asks you and me to return that gift back to Him, to, to serve Him. It is our spiritual service of worship to present our bodies as a living, holy sacrifice. Now next week, we're going to talk about presenting our bodies as a, a gift unto the Lord, as a Christmas gift. But there's one thing that's very unique about this sacrifice. It's living you put a living person on an altar, they can jump off. I mean, you start the fires and they jump off. I've done it way too many times. So, oh Lord, I'm here. I'm in, I'm in for the long haul. And then something happens, I jump off. A living sacrifice is one that has its own will and can do as it wants. And I think that Paul is going to speak to us about that next week as we go into this Christmas season. So I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. Uh, I will do the same next week. I want you to, to enjoy celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. For those of you that are visiting and you don't know that you know Him yet, we, we urge you to come back. We'll try to teach you as much about Him as we can. Um, knowing Him is it's the greatest thing that you'll ever experience in your life. I, I make you that promise. And so I pray that you enjoy celebrating the birth of your Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray that you especially celebrate the joy of giving and serving the Lord. It is the blessings of blessings that Paul says we have the privilege of doing now as believers. Well, that's all I know. (laughs) That's all I would have to say today. But I pray you'll come back next week. It's, we're going to really celebrate Christmas some more and uh, talk more about what we can give unto the Lord. Father, please bless us. Not because uh, we need the blessings, but actually we do, Father, but bless us because we, we want to honor you. It is our greatest joy, Father, to be... a a believer in Jesus Christ. And Father, for those who are here this morning and don't know you, I just pray that, that you would touch their hearts to f- want to examine, to find out more about this thing called Christianity, just true faith, not, not mixed in with a lot of traditions and, and, and different types of religious rules and, and things like that, but just the pure understanding of knowing you by faith and faith alone. And then the joy of serving you, Father. Giving back to you what you have so graciously given to us. Now, Father, as we go into this wonderful time of the year, this Christmas season, would you please bless, bless each family here, bless each person, their their loved ones and everything and everyone that they're connected with, Father. May this time of the year be really special to them, I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you all more than you'll ever, ever know. God bless you and Merry Christmas. Thanks for being here.